With nine candidates running to be Chicago mayor, a runoff seems all but certain. But since no one candidate is likely to get the 50 percent of the vote that's needed to win, runoffs are common in Chicago. And some advocates think that fact reveals a flaw in our voting system. So today we'll hear about an alternative system that advocates say could make elections more democratic. It's called ranked choice voting. And with us now to explain what this could look like in Chicago is Andrew Silva, executive director of Fair Vote Illinois. Welcome to Reset, Andrew. Hi, thanks for having me. Also with us is Elisa Kaplan, executive director of Reform for Illinois. Great to have you, Elisa. Great to be here. Thanks. I'll start with you, Andrew, and and we'll actually begin with the basics. Tell us what is ranked choice voting and how it's different from the current system that we have here in Chicago. Yes. So ranked choice voting is really an upgrade to the way we vote. So rather than selecting a single candidate, you would rank your choices, first choice, second choice, third choice, as, as many candidates as you like up and down the list. And when we count the votes, we only look at everyone's first choice vote. So your vote goes to your first choice. And in order to win, someone needs to have 50%. They need more than a majority. Um, And if nobody does, then we have an instant runoff. We eliminate the candidate that's in last place. And anyone who's voted for them as their first choice, their vote goes to their second choice instead. And then we recount the votes. If someone has a majority, great, the election's over. Otherwise, we repeat that process until we uh, have a winner. And Elisa, help us understand that a bit more, especially from the voter perspective. So if I was ranking my candidates, like Andrew just described, instead of just picking one, right, what would my ballot look like? Your ballot would list the list the candidates, and then you would mark which one you wanted for first choice, which one you wanted for second choice, which one you wanted for third choice, and and so on. So it's really not complicated. It's just a list of candidates like you would have on any ballot, but instead of just marking one, you would mark the the number of your choice next to each one, as many as you wanted, as Andrew said. And, and Elisa, ranked choice voting is already used in in states like Alaska. And, and Maine and a number of cities too, right, including New York. So how and where did it get started in the U.S.? I believe, and Andrew may correct me if I'm wrong, that Cambridge, Massachusetts was one of the first place to use it. Um, they use it for a type of proportional representation, and they've used it for many decades there. And it's really gained momentum, especially in the last few years, as a way to, as you mentioned, make elections more democratic less divisive because candidates have to reach out to their opponent's um, uh, supporters if they want those second and third choice votes. So they have ranked choice voting now in Minneapolis, um, in San Francisco, in uh, in many other cities across the country. And that sounds about right to you, Andrew? Oh, absolutely. Yep. And just so we're clear, you don't have to rank more than one candidate if you don't want to. Is that right, Andrew? Yeah, if, if you like, you could just rank one candidate. Um, in doing so, you're essentially saying, if this candidate doesn't win, I don't have another preference. It's in your best interest to always rank everybody. And if your first candidate can't win, your vote goes to your next choice. So help me drill down a bit using this mayoral race that we're currently in the middle of here in Chicago as an example. How would that election be different if we did have this ranked choice voting system? Looking at current polls no candidate really has, typically has more than about 20%. So no one is even near um, 50%. And the pre- prior mayoral race, um, Lightfoot and Preckwinkle had about 33% of the vote combined during their 
the first um, round. Yeah. Um, so that was combined, um, which means a large portion of the city really wanted somebody else, at least as their top choice. So it's almost a poster child for why ranked choice voting is such a great method. Um, everyone doesn't have to look at the polls. They don't need to vote strategically. You vote for your top choice, second choice, so on, and the most preferred candidate gets elected. On our voicemail, we heard from a reset listener whose name is Liz from Chicago, and she talked about why she supports a move to ranked choice voting. I think it is a really important tool for um, giving the widest number of candidates an option to be elected. It also means you're not wasting your vote if you vote for someone that you think should be near the top, who happens to be like a third-party candidate or maybe seems like an underdog. And we also got a lot of responses on Twitter with people saying that they want ranked choice voting here in Chicago. I will be sharing some of those Twitter responses throughout our conversation. But uh, Elisa, is our caller right that this helps people avoid, quote, wasting their vote? Your caller is absolutely right. And as an organization that's concerned with democracy, that's why we're so interested in ranked choice voting, because of the power that it gives to voters. I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to who are following this mayoral race and trying to figure out who to vote for, because the current system forces you to become sort of a political strategist and try to figure out who is the person who is least likely, who is most likely to win that you can also tolerate voting for, right? Rather than just thinking, who do I want to win? You have to look at the polls and say, well, but if I vote for the person that I really want, what if they don't do well and then I'm wasting my vote? And what if that, that uh, helps a candidate that I don't like? With ranked choice voting, you don't have to worry about that. You vote for who you want. If that person doesn't do well, you can, your vote, it, your second choice vote counts. And if that person doesn't well, then your third doesn't do well, then your third uh, choice vote counts. So you don't have to think in that kind of strategic way. I think many of us have been in that position, uh, have a couple different shots at influencing the outcome, even if your first choice doesn't win. Mm -hmm. Andrew, would the system help us avoid runoffs? Yeah, that's another great benefit. So in Chicago, there's a runoff election. Voter turnout tends to drop quite a bit in that runoff, um, and we could avoid that. So not only do we – is it great for voters? You get to vote once and you're done. Um, without that extra election, it saves the city um, lots of money for, for not having to administer another election. Yeah, so, the, so we avoid the voter drop-off. We save money. Any other benefits that you can think of, of avoiding runoffs? Um, <clears throat> mostly, mostly that it gives voters you know, the, the opportunity to just – vote once, um, make their voice heard. It sounds like it costs less. And, and it costs less. Yeah. I want to share a comment that we got on Reset's Twitter, Andrew. It, it relates to what we're talking about here. This is from AKA60643. They said, races with several candidates are a nightmare under the current system and a waste of taxpayer money for the inevitable runoff elections. Having ranked choice voting would more equitably reflect what voters want. And that's absolutely right. I, I mean, that's that's the the big selling point of ranked choice voting is that it's a real simple way of, of making sure the voters get um, the most preferred candidate selected. Elisa, we've been talking about how this might be better for voters, but is it better for candidates too? 
It absolutely is better for candidates, especially for candidates who are good at building bridges and building consensus. So ranked choice voting, as, as I mentioned before, it rewards candidates who can appeal to the supporters of their opponents. So it discourages the kind of nastiness and name-calling that we've seen in all too many re- uh, elections, both locally and nationally, because you don't want to piss off the supporters of your, your opponents because you want them to vote for you for second or third choice. So that's one way that it's great for candidates, at least candidates who are interested in in that kind of bridge building instead of uh, bridge burning. Yeah. Um, the other way that it's great for candidates is that if you're a candidate who's maybe a little bit of an outside choice, a little bit of a less conventionally, quote unquote, electable candidate, you have a better argument to go to voters and say, hey, vote for me first. You won't waste your vote if I don't if I don't do as well as you want me to. Um, you could still vote for a more quote unquote electable candidate second, and that gives all of those uh, um, candidates a better chance of winning overall. Because who knows? Maybe they'll do better than everybody thought, and that does happen. Uh, so because of that, also we see a greater diversity of candidates both entering and winning races with ranked choice voting. And if you could just briefly expand on an earlier point that you made, Elisa, which is the fact that ranked choice voting better represents that collective voice of voters. That's right. What you'll get is a a government that better reflects voters' preferences because you're getting so much more information from voters about what they actually want instead of how they've chosen to play this complicated uh, strategic voting game. And so you'll also get candidates that better reflect the values and the goals of the community that they're representing. So as, as I said, it's more democratic. Uh, and it's less divisive because it rewards those consensus builders at the same time. So it's, it's a win-win. Yeah. Another Twitter commenter with the name Bikes Are Green Vehicles said, our current voting system, quote, forces false choices. Ranked choice would more accurately capture voters' preference of candidates. So clearly they agree. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we are talking about ranked choice voting. It's an alternative system for elections that's been implemented in cities like San Francisco and New York City and in states like Alaska and Maine. Now a push to bring it to our area is gaining momentum. And with us are two advocates for voting reform. That's Andrew Silva, who's executive director of Fair Vote Illinois, and Elisa Kaplan, who's executive director of Reform for Illinois. So, Andrew, this isn't the first time I understand that ranked choice voting has been talked about here in Chicago. Why hasn't it been implemented yet? What we find is the biggest obstacle to get it implemented is just awareness. <clears throat> so, so people don't know about it. They don't know about it. And when people hear about it, overwhelmingly, they support it. It's kind of a no-brainer type of reform. It makes a lot of sense that they would. And so what we do at Fair Vote Illinois is we're advocating by trying to get the word out. And when, what we find when we talk to people is that um, very, very few people push back. They say, why are we not doing this already? It's such a great idea. So how far has it been able to advance? Yep. So um, just this past November in Evanston, um, voters went to the polls to vote whether or not they wanted to adopt ranked choice voting. Mm-hmm. And they adopted it with the landslide. Eighty-two, Over 82 percent of voters in Evanston said, we want ranked choice voting. They're going to start using um, ranked choice voting uh, for their municipal elections. Um, it, we find in Berwyn there was a non-binding referendum question last year in the primary election, 
And again, over 82% of voters there said, yes, this sounds like a great idea, something we would want to adopt. And we're seeing about the same in Chicago. Um, Lots of support, just... um, it has to get people have to be aware that it exists. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Well, uh, Elisa, Andrew talked there about Evanston recently deciding to move to ranked choice voting. What was it you would say that that got that city over the hump? Oh, was that question directed at me? I'm sorry, you cut out for a second. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I, I think what Andrew said is absolutely right. Once people heard about this and once people understood what it was, they overwhelmingly supported it. Um, and so we just did a lot of work to educate people about it. But um, once they got it, they, it wasn't easy to persuade them. And I think, you know, e- even in a place uh, as maybe ideologically um, homogeneous as Evanston, there was still a feeling that they've been suffering from political divisiveness and and polarization and that they wanted a different kind of democracy. Uh, They wanted to open doors to as diverse a city council as possible. Um, And so it was really just the right solution for for our time there. Yeah. Elisa, what do we hear from opponents of ranked choice voting? The most common Uh, argument that we get in opposition is that it's too confusing. Uh, And this really just has not been borne out by the data. In in jurisdiction after jurisdiction and study after study, um, we see that people are perfectly capable of using ranked choice voting. And if you think about it, you use ranking in your everyday life all the time. There's top 10 songs. You know what your favorite ice cream is and your second favorite ice cream. Uh, you, you, you understand your first choice, second choice, third choice. And so it's really not too much of a leap just to use that same logic when you're talking about candidates. So people know how to use ranked choice voting. Studies have shown, for example, in New York that 95% of voters said that they found their ballot easy to complete. Mm -hmm. So we just haven't heard those concerns about it being confusing borne out. You talked earlier, Andrew, about some of the the barriers to actually getting this system implemented here in Chicago. And we know Alderman Matt Martin also introduced a a resolution to bring ranked choice voting here. Are you hopeful that it's going to happen soon? Uh, absolutely. We we, we want um, the conversation to start. <laughs> this helps. It helps getting the word out. Uh, Matt Martin has been a strong supporter of ranked choice voting. Uh, getting getting the city council on board is a huge step. In order to actually get it passed in um, Chicago, it would take a referendum so voters would have the opportunity to vote on it. So it would be really great if the Chicago City Council gave voters that chance to say, here, we're going to put on the ballot and let the voters decide if they want to adopt it. And we believe they would in a landslide. Last question to both of you. I'll start with you, Elisa. Beyond ranked choice voting that we've been talking about today, what other improvements do you want to see made to our elections here? Well, one big one that Alderman Martin has also started a conversation about in the Chicago City Council is public campaign financing. This is another another program that has been adopted around the country to address issues of corruption and representation um, and to to help address the pay-to-play politics that have plagued Chicago for so many years. Uh, so for us, that's a big priority is advancing that discussion on uh, giving candidates a way to fund their campaigns and run a competitive race without relying on big donors and special interests. Last word to you, Andrew. Any other improvements you're looking to see? 
at Fairvote Illinois, we're, we're a one-issue organization. We keep it simple and say we're, we're going to focus on ranked choice voting and hope hopefully get that done first. Uh, I would love to see campaign finance reform personally as well. I love that Elisa champions that. It's uh, It'd be huge for the city. That was Andrew Silva, executive director of Fair Vote Illinois, and Elisa Kaplan, executive director of Reform for Illinois. Thank you both. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Back now with more Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. Election Day in Chicago is now just over two weeks away. And when voters pick a candidate, we are almost certain to need a runoff. But what if it didn't have to be that way? If we had what's known as ranked choice voting, things would work very differently. So let's hear how that alternative system for elections works in places like Alaska and Maine and New York City and San Francisco. Joining us now is Anthony Fowler, who's professor at the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. Good to have you, Professor. Hi, good to be here. Thanks so much. And also here in studio is Rachel Hutchinson. She's a research analyst with Fair Vote. Welcome to Reset, Rachel. Hi, thank you for having me. So we just heard about this movement to have ranked choice voting here in Illinois, but it's already being used in a number of places, Rachel. So how widespread is this system across the U.S.? Yes, that's true. So ranked choice voting is the fastest growing nonpartisan reform in the nation. It's grown from 10 cities in 2016 to over 60 cities, counties, and states today. So it's definitely gained a lot of steam, and we've seen it in a lot of major elections in New York City, San Francisco, Alaska, Maine, for example. Yeah. Well, we got this comment from a a ranked choice voting fan on Twitter. This is from Lauren Patty Lerman, who said, I voted in the first ranked choice mayoral primary in New York City. I moved to Chicago in 2022. And it feels so much more democratic. I'm a fan. It's way better than a runoff model. Uh, Are there different versions of ranked choice, Rachel? Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, New York City has a model where they use it in primaries. And this is great uh, option to give voters more choice and more choice more voice and more choice in a very crowded field. It can also be used in general elections where if you cast your ballot for, say, an independent or third party candidate, that vote can then go on to count towards a front runner, maybe the Democrat or Republican. This is what happens in Maine. There's also a model in Alaska where they use a nonpartisan top four primary where the top four candidates advance regardless of their partisan affiliation and then go on to compete in a general election. So this is good for places that want to keep that winnowing stage and then have sort of a more manageable list of candidates in the general election to rank. Uh, But either model, something like that could be good for Chicago if people like this winnowing stage or eliminating the runoff is always a plus because you get to decrease that drop and turnoff that happens, keep the decisive election where population is largest and most diverse. Yeah, I'm I'm seeing there's proportional ranked choice voting, right? And you use that for uh, choosing multi-seat races like city council. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And then instant runoff voting, which is Slightly different? Yeah, so instant runoff voting is just another name for ranked choice voting because that's quite how it works. It is an instant runoff, whereas if no candidate gets 50% on the first round, then the sort of alternate and backup choices come into play and we get a consensus winner. Uh, For example, 73% of ballots where we've seen ranked choice voting in the U.S. rank a winning candidate in their top three. Um, In New York, for example, 85 percent of people in the Democratic primary and they used it went on to have their vote count towards one of the top two candidates compared to just 33 percent in the last Chicago mayoral election. So it certainly helps build consensus and make sure that the winner is somebody representative of the population. Thank you for helping me get my terms straight there. Uh, I want to bring you in here, Anthony. Advocates argue that a benefit of ranked choice voting is that it eliminates runoff elections. Are there any downsides, you think, to not having runoffs? 
sure. I mean, I think it's not obvious that a runoff is bad. I mean, of course, of course, having to vote a second time and and having he's prolonging the campaign. Obviously, there's 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 costs and there's hassle for people involved. But you could imagine there's some in, informational advantage to you know the kind of the system we use for Chicago mayoral elections where you vote once. If nobody wins a majority, then the top two candidates face each other in a runoff. That gives voters extra time to learn more about those top two candidates and really think about which of those two they prefer. Which, you know, if we had something like an instant runoff, uh, you'd have to spend more time researching all. I mean, ideally, of course, everyone does that. But of course, in practice, people, there's so many candidates, it's overwhelming. It's hard to pay really close attention to all of them. And so you can imagine there being some benefit of having the runoff where we know, okay, it's down to these two and we're going to learn more about them and, and maybe, and maybe we'll end up getting a better choice or, or, or a choice that the voters prefer more yeah. when they've had that time to learn more. So there think, are there are trade-offs. What do you surely. think, Rachel? Do you think there are downsides? I think certainly ranked choice voting can be used with any kind of structure. You can have it within a primary and general or general and runoff structure. Um, that's a great thing about it. It's compatible with any type of election structure. But I think it has been really effective places where we've seen it to reduce the runoff. New York, for example, used this model to reduce the runoff and it, ex- it, it replaced really expensive city runoff elections. It helps to elect the most diverse New York City government ever. Candidates of color won more than two-thirds of city council seats, and it elected the first majority female in city council. And turnout in that primary was the highest we've had in 30 years. Places like San Francisco, Minneapolis, um, even Evanston have also done it specifically to reduce the drop-off. So it can be great to solve that sort of problem. It can also be compatible with a system where we have the runoff as well, if that's what people prefer. Well, you know, as you talk there about some of the lessons that have been learned in, in some of these other places— were there stumbling blocks or, or things that needed to be figured out before it began to work? Sure. Uh, so voters like it right away. Um, I think someone said earlier, 95 percent in New York decided that it was easy their first time. 77 percent said they wanted to use it again. And 90 percent in the competitive mayoral primary ranked multiple candidates. Uh, candidates, they have to adapt to it. But I think they come to find it's a very powerful thing to come into office with a majority mandate from their constituents and very specific ballot data about what the electorate's preferences are. And for election administrators, it's something new. But today, there's so many resources and guidances out there for best practices for implementation. There's a whole organization called the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center specifically dedicated to that. So it definitely is something that is growing and tried and true and challenges have been overcome. Anthony, are there other alternative voting systems that have been proposed beyond ranked choice voting? Sure. Well, there's yeah, there's a lot to say on this broad topic. One thing, if I'm if I can give my nerdy academic lecture for just a minute, um, sure. there's something called Arrows and Possibility Theorem, which essentially says if you wrote down all the features of a voting system that you that we all agree would be ideal, it's impossible to find one. There's no voting system that that meets all of those criteria. There's going to be a flaw with any voting system, and so with even with instant runoff, there you know there's going to be flaws and so forth. And, and of course, the you know the kind of the most typical system of just first-past-the-post-priority rule, we, we kind of all know some of the problems with that. Um, one of the, even, with, even with the instant runoff, although I think there are lots of reasons to prefer it over the, the typical status quo, one of the problems is, one of the concerns is, it's not guaranteed to find the candidate that's, in fact, most preferred. Mm-hmm. There could be a candidate that is, would actually defeat all the other candidates in a head-to-head matchup, but doesn't make it to the instant runoff. So imagine, just imagine a scenario that I think could be quite plausible, that suppose there's a liberal candidate, a moderate candidate, and a conservative candidate, and suppose that 
35% of people or so prefer the liberal to the moderate to the conservative, 35% are conservative in the other direction, and then roughly 30% prefer the moderate first. That moderate candidate would actually be the preferred choice in the sense that it would beat the liberal or the conservative in a head-to-head matchup, mm-hmm. but it would never make it to the instant runoff or the regular runoff, either one, if everyone just votes sort of sincerely. I see. And you might prefer some alternative system where, for example, an alternative system would be everybody ranks their choices, just like with with other ranked choice systems. But instead of doing the instant runoff, you could say, let's check to see if any of these candidates would beat all the other candidates in a head-to-head matchup. And if they would, then we'll make them the winner. So there's lots of different things you could do with the, with the rankings, and, uh, and, and so there's lots of different proposals out there. All of them have their relative pros and cons, and none of them are perfect, um, but there are interesting problems that arise with any system and interesting potential solutions to think about. Well, to, to that end, Rachel, we got this comment on Twitter from, you're going to love this Twitter handle, fried rice with bluegrass. They're, they're pretty skeptical about ranked choice voting, and here's what they said. They said, in general... Rank choice voting might actually exacerbate the problem of too many people wanting to run, making a ranking system effectively useless. What do you think? I think that ranked choice voting is perfect for these scenarios where you get a lot of candidates running because what often happens is votes are split between similar candidates and you have somebody win with, say, just 30 percent and that's an unrepresentative candidate. Whereas with ranked choice voting, somebody who's an unrepresentative candidate is unlikely to pick up backup alternate choice support. So ranked choice is a really system that rewards deep strong first choice support as well as backup broad choice support and that it is able to identify that winner in a broad field of candidates and allow voters to retain choice at the same time. Yeah. Well, what do you think about what uh, Anthony was just mentioning here about ranked choice voting sort of basically being bad for moderates? Sure. So it's an interesting political science question, this concept called Condorcet, but those sort of alternative systems aren't used anywhere in public elections. Ranked choice, again, identifies a candidate who has deep first choice support and broad backup support. 99% of the time, that is the candidate who would win in in a head-to-head contest with Mm -hmm. every other candidate, but you can't win a ranked choice voting contest by coming in last place and being everyone's second choice. So it it has a track record of definitely being able to nominate consensus candidates relative to the district they're being elected in. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're discussing ranked choice voting and how it's being used in different states and cities across the country. The system is not currently being used here in Chicago, but advocates are saying that it could make elections like this crowded mayor's race more fair and more efficient. With me is Rachel Hutchinson, who's a research analyst with Fair Vote, and Anthony Fowler, who's a professor in the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. Anthony, we, we've talked a bit about diversity here and, and how diversity is an effect of ranked choice voting. Can you explain that? Help us understand. I'm not sure if I have an obvious prediction there. I think uh, I think it could go. I think it probably could go either way. Maybe Rachel has stronger stronger thoughts as to as to why it would go. I think I think especially in these kind of you know in these elections where there's lots of candidates, mm-hmm. anything can happen, right? Kind of you can end up you could end up with lots of candidates who are similar ideologically or similar, uh, you know, in some other characteristic the voters care about, and their votes kind of end up canceling each other out, um, and therefore you could end up getting kind of you know candidates who aren't the most preferred winning. Um, and you know, as far as what's better for diversity, I don't know. I mean, I 
I think it is true that having a ranked choice voting system probably encourages more candidates to run. Candidates who might think, you know, it'd be hard to it'd be hard to be everyone's first choice, but but it's worth running and seeing if I can. And, and maybe that's probably a good thing for democracy, and maybe yeah. that is ends up being good for diversity. But I think you could easily cook up some scenario where it went the other way, and and it turns out to be bad for diversity for some reason. Hmm. Anything to add there, Rachel? Yeah, ranked choice voting has definitely proven in real life to give us better representation. It helped elect the first majority female city council in New York, as well as the first majority people of color city councils in Minneapolis, Salt Lake City, as well as the first Alaska Native Congresswoman. And this is because ranked choice voting reduces barriers to entry for first-time candidates, women, candidates of color who often maybe struggle to raise money or traction. This is because candidates can feel less pressured to wait their turn or feel like they can get into the race without splitting the vote with a more seasoned candidate. And voters have an incentive really to look at a wider range of candidates because now they've got to think not only who do I want first, but who might be a second or third choice. Another argument that advocates make for ranked choices is it opens the possibility for more parties. Do you agree with that, Anthony? Absolutely, yes. I mean, the the uh, plurality rule system that we have means that we're we're probably going to converge on something like two major parties, and and there's this coordination problem the voters face. And even if even if none of us are really all that happy with the Democratic or Republican choices, we know those are the two viable options. So we have to decide which we prefer out of those. You know, which is the lesser evil essentially. Whereas with something like a ranked choice voting system, uh, you know, that you could imagine, you know, all kinds of parties emerging, and people end up ranking those. You you know, those choices. And it could be that, in fact, there's lots of people who, in fact, would prefer the moderate candidate or the independent candidate or some other party. Um, and they just they weren't able to coordinate on the candidate before, but now they can with the system. So, so yes, theoretically, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, presumably, ranked choice voting will take longer than, than typical elections. Is that at all a concern, Rachel? No. So a ranked choice voting election can actually be tabulated instantly in just a couple seconds with the click of a button. Most cities promote or sorry, report preliminary ranked choice voting results on election night, including a lot of places in Utah that use it, as well as San Francisco, where we have seen delays maybe in Alaska or Maine. This is only because usually we're waiting time for absentee ballots to come in, which has nothing to do with the way ranked choice voting is processed or counted. Um, They're run just as securely and really don't change the way ballots are collected. In fact, the results so if anything, are more transparent because we get a lot more information on what voters want and what their preferences are. Anthony, whether it's um, controversies over like voter ID laws or um, conspiracies that we hear about ballot counting, there's been a lot of talk about the state of American democracy since at least 2020. Would these reforms help, you think, with election integrity? I don't see a very clear connection there. Um I think, I mean, of course, I mean, of course, we're concerned about the health of democracy. We want, you know, we, we want our elections to be as trustworthy as possible. We want whatever system we decide to use, we want to, in fact, commit to that system and have things be transparent and so forth. Um, and that's very important, regardless of what system we use. I could see some argument that the more opaque and complicated the system, the more likely it is to be, you know, there to be critics who say it's complicated and maybe there was something funny going on. But I think, I think it doesn't really matter either way. I think whatever system we pick, we want to be clear and transparent and make sure, make sure we, in fact, um, we've, we hold our elections in a free and fair way. And so I think we could choose either system and, and be committed to holding free and fair elections. And Rachel, speaking of transparency there, I mean, this doing elections this way is going to require a big change in how we count the votes, right? So can just explain what those changes would look like and, and the challenges that it might present? 
Sure. So uh, you cast your ballot for your first choice vote. And a lot of the time, somebody wins with 50 percent on the first choice and it does not have to go to a ranked choice tabulation. When it does, then the second choice ballots come into play. So this is a very transparent process, actually, because after most ranked choice elections, the jurisdictions that use it will post the ballot data, pretty much a digital representation of how all of the rankings went. And people can go and confirm that outside. So I would say that is helpful for transparency. And another thing about election integrity, just to speak to that point, is it might come from a deeper place of people feel like their vote doesn't matter. They feel like they're not liking the options on the ballot. They feel like the government is not representing them. And I think ranked choice voting could help in that regard because people feel like my my vote will go towards a front-running candidate. I do like the options I have in the ballot. I feel like I can vote honestly, and I feel like my government is working for me. Yeah. Well, we talked to our other guests about this as well, but I, I want to pose the question to you, Anthony. Beyond ranked choice voting, what could be done to improve U.S. elections? What else? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a lot we could do. I mean, of course, we want to. You know, we want to make it. Um, we want to make it as easy and low cost for people to vote as possible. We want to. You know, we want to get as many people voting as possible. We also want to do everything we can to assure people that we are conducting elections securely and fairly, and so forth. Um, I happen to be a fan of compulsory voting because I think I think the the problem of unequal turnout is a very big one. That not everybody votes, and the people who do vote are quite unrepresentative of the general population. Mm-hmm. And the way we normally solve collective action problems like that is through some kind of strong financial incentive or some kind of you know some kind of compulsion system, and so I would be perfectly fine with a system where we say um, it's expected that everybody votes, and uh, and if you don't vote and you don't have a good excuse, you pay a small fine. And and there are countries that use systems like that, and they get very high rates of participation, and I think that lends some additional legitimacy to the results, and it also means that everyone's represented in a more fair way. We'll have to leave it there. Anthony Fowler is professor in the Harris School of Public Policy, and Rachel Hutchinson is a research analyst with Fair Vote. We've been learning all about ranked choice voting and what impact that system could have on elections right here in Chicago. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you.